Welcome back to the One Broke Actress podcast. Mmm. God damn, I miss saying that. Hi. <laughs> I'm your host, Sam Valentine, bringing you an honest account of actor life, plus a few lessons I learned in the process. And what a freaking process it has been. Happy 2021, everyone. I keep messing that up. I will eventually get it right. I am so happy to be back with you guys. I miss this podcast so much. Being able to talk to everyone every week is so fulfilling to me. And I've been recording these podcasts since October. So I feel like I have so many goodies and I haven't been able to share them. So thank God it's finally time to release the podcast. Oh, man. Well, let's see. Let's first talk about what has maybe changed from last season to this one. I know we had a couple bonus episodes come back in between now and then and I know I keep track of a lot of you on Instagram, but for the general public, hi. If you guys missed last week's episode, Helena Santos is our brand new producer. Helena is an amazing actress. You guys should definitely listen to the podcast preview because she gives you a lot of insight of what's going on in her neighborhood. She is based in Vancouver and she is a dual citizen in the U.S., so she touches base with both markets. And it's really interesting to see where we're both at in this. So definitely listen to that episode. Follow her on social media. Get to know her. She's an amazing producer and content creator. She was the creator of Miss in the Biz, which if you love One Broke Actress, you're going to love Miss in the Biz. They're no longer producing new content, but it's a great website with archives of amazing stuff you guys should check out. So make sure to check that out. Say hi to her. She's amazing. She's helped me get some guests that I would have never known about before this or I would have never had access to, including today's guest. Okay, what else is going on? We have book club. I know some of you are intimidated by the word book club. I literally just wanted a place to recommend reading with each other and to talk about it afterwards. It's kind of an excuse for me to host a meetup without feeling pressured to be some sort of online guru speaker. If you haven't checked out book club, go ahead and click that Instagram highlight on my Instagram page. Basically, I recommend a book. You have a couple months to read it. There's no stress. Even if you don't read it, just come to the meetings. We're going to chat about it. This past couple months book is Future Boards by Sarah Centrea, a renowned speaker, and she's all about manifesting and, and future boards instead of vision boards. It's really interesting. You guys should check it out. It's on my Amazon shop. It's also posted all over my Instagram. Go ahead and check it out. And just so you guys know, our meeting for this book club is going to be at 11 a.m. on January 27th. I will be live streaming an interview with the author, Sarah, herself, which is beyond exciting. And I can live stream it onto my Facebook page for One Broke Actress. I know there's a lot of steps here, it feels like. But if you go to Facebook and like the One Broke Actress page, you'll be able to watch our live stream of the interview. She is awesome. She's going to drop some knowledge on us, some inspiration. It's going to be amazing. And then afterwards, we're going to hop on our own Zoom and talk about it. Maybe a couple of us will share our future boards. If this sounds too woo-woo for you, I highly recommend you pick up the book because it's not what you think it is. And if you're like, holy crap, Sam, that's a lot of information. Where do I find these links? Where do I find all this stuff? Let me direct your attention to the One Broke Actress email list. (laughs) Such a smooth transition. Wow. The One Broke Actress email list is available at onebrokeactress.com. You just scroll down. Free email list is on the main page. You click subscribe. 
super easy. I do not send you very many emails. They are short, they are to the point, and it's where I send out all the links and information to book club, articles you might have missed. Sometimes I do actor steals. If I get a discount I want to share with you guys, I toss it in there. There is a lot of good stuff in there, so make sure you sign up for that. You'll get all the information about the upcoming book club slash meetup. It's going to be great. And if you just kind of want to see the day-to-day life, make sure you're following on Instagram at onebrokeactress. I am there pretty much every day. I try to respond to every single message I get. I've been able to put out a lot of new content on there, which has been really exciting. Can you guys tell I have had two cups of coffee today? Interesting. I feel it in my blood. Okay, before we get to today's podcast, I want to introduce you to our first ever sponsor this season. And hold on, because this is not going to be a normal sponsor. I'm not just going to read off some ad copy that was given to me by a company, although she's open to it if somebody wants to send it to her. I am using sponsors this season that are businesses and companies that I believe in, and I searched them out and I said, can I put you on my podcast? I really recommend all of these things I'm about to tell you. The first podcast sponsor of this season is Ashley Pollard's Square One Accelerator Program. If you guys have been watching my Instagram stories, you've seen me mention them a whole, whole lot. Ashley Pollard, full disclosure, is a roommate of mine from college. We're sorority sisters. We talk all the time. I help some of her stuff on her podcast. And she's a really close friend, but she is a damn good businesswoman. I actually took the full Square One Accelerator program the first time she put it out last year. It was a perfect time for me to take a class. I know you guys are probably like, but it's not an acting class. A business class, I think, is vital for every actor to take. Not only do you learn about actually how to function in business, but you can learn how to grow and achieve more in your side hustles. I know so many of you have side hustles in one capacity or another. Maybe it's just a social media site. Maybe it's a full-on program or a product that you sell. I cannot recommend Ashley's program enough. Ashley's been in the New York fashion industry for 10 years, working in corporate fields, and she stole all her ideas and put it into one program for you. It's 12 weeks long, and you can access it at any point in time. So you have lifetime access if maybe you book something and you can't attend class that week. It's pretty amazing. The community aspect is amazing. I can't recommend enough meeting new people outside of your bubble especially online where it's nice and safe. And this time around, she's adding in Monday morning coffee chats. There's Friday happy hours. And she's doing virtual co-working spaces where you can utilize the stuff you're learning from her evergreen classes and put it into actual work on your business. If you guys are interested in this, make sure that you sign up for the wait list by the 22nd of this month. So if you're listening to this on Tuesday, That is this coming Friday. You can sign up after that, but if you get on the waitlist by the 22nd, you get $200 off the program. Her pricing plan is so relatable. I'm telling you guys, I wouldn't be talking about this so much if it didn't literally change my business. I have so much clarity and planning. You know that feeling when you sit down and you're like, oh God, I really should be doing something right now. Why am I not doing enough? I don't feel that anymore. And that's in part due to therapy and in part due to this program. So guys, make sure you check it out. You can look up Ashley, A-S-H-L-I underscore P, and you can check out her website, which is very simply ashleypollard.com. 
I know this is a lot of information, but it will all be in the show notes for you guys. You can also ask me questions on Instagram and make sure when you sign up for the waitlist, you tell her that you found out about it through me. We're getting a special referral bonus treat that is invaluable. It's a couple hundred dollars in value she's giving just to people who are referred from this podcast. All right, guys. I am so excited for you to hear this interview with Kate Siegel. In today's episode, Kate and I talk about her BFA days back in her college theater program. We talk about how she came out to LA, the classes she took, how she found her home. We talked a lot about how she stayed motivated, even though she never actually felt confident in her auditions. And fun fact, she tells me in this podcast that she has never actually booked a self-tape, which I find to be very hilarious, and I would like to book her tomorrow. We talk a lot about the shift out of ingenue roles, which I think is really important for a lot of our listeners, dealing with the pressures of a certain timeline that we thought we were supposed to have. Body image is a topic we come across as well about before and after being a mom and how that also equates to the ingenue roles. We talk a little bit about elevating the genre that she's worked so much in, which is horror. I know a lot of you have struggled with horror auditions in the past. I know I have too. So we're going to get into that. And she has a great piece of advice for making it fun and way more interesting today. She also shares with us what it's like to work with her husband, Mike Flanagan, on sets and how they help share the spotlight with each other and for each other. And lastly, we're going to wrap it up with a little chat about what it was like filming her show, Midnight Mass, during COVID in Canada. She was up there filming when we recorded this podcast. So without further ado, please enjoy Kate Siegel. A ton of our listeners are super familiar. I mentioned today on my Instagram that we were chatting and they were really excited. Oh, that's um, so fun. Yeah. There's, they're really big fans. So they're super excited to hear from you. Um, okay. I went pretty far back in doing some research because I'm pretty familiar with your stuff. I'm very big in the horror, uh, oh, world great. as well, thriller stuff. Um, but I want to talk about like way back in terms of like education to start us off. Yeah, totally. Um, totally. You have a BFA. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> now that you've done as much work as you have, do you think coming into work with a BFA was helpful um, in the long term? Uh, would you do it again if you could? Oh, uh, my um, my BFA, my time at Syracuse was like not great for me. Mm. Uh, so there are things about the training that is helpful to me, but I'm not sure it was necessary. I had a hard time with the program. We had a cut program. So at the end of sophomore year, you had to do a scene for the faculty and then they decide if like, you get the thumbs up and you get to keep going or the thumbs down and you get, I don't know, kicked to like the BS, which is, or like, I think it's the BA instead of the uh -huh. BFA. And I swear to God, everyone was so um, up their own butts about that. Like the <laughs> horror of getting a BA, like what could possibly be worse, right. um, including me. But so I failed that three times. It was all based on one scene? One scene. Why not your work throughout the semester? I have no, because they hate us. I don't know, because <laughs> like there's this idea that you have to tear people down to build them up in the BFA world. Mm -hmm. And that was not what I needed. I did not need that level of anxiety and that level of stress and that level of quantifying art, someone's art as good or bad. I needed 
a safe space. I needed to get out of my own head and get out of my own way. And my program kind of did the opposite of that for me. That being said, I did spend some time doing theater before I moved into film and TV. And the BA was, the BFA was like invaluable for that. Okay. Theater work, definitely. But most of my work on film and TV, I had to spend years and years undoing what I learned at Syracuse and undoing the things that they did to me at Syracuse. Yeah. You know, also, yeah, I had social problems. Like I felt like I was bullied a lot. I, it, I wasn't great at being around people then. I just feel like I would have done better just like making my own short films, writing and, and creating my own short films or that being said, like if I had gotten any success in my twenties, I, there's no way I could have sustained it because I was a disaster. I, <laughs> I talk about the same thing a lot. I feel like I used college to grow up and it yes. didn't so much serve what I'm doing now, but it was, if I would have come to yeah. LA at 18, I always say I probably would have been very big into drugs. I probably would have done huge a lot of crazy drugs. things. I was huge into <laughs> drugs at school and at least it was safe, you right. know, and <laughs> I could show up to like voice verse completely like cracked out from a night of ecstasy if I showed up to set cracked out from a night of ecstasy I would get fired right so at least right. there's that Are you in college where you show up to be a squirrel for a couple hours I don't know if you did exercises like that but... oh absolutely and like clamming and viewpoints oh my god viewpoints like, oh we had a teacher who uh, loved we had an empty studio and once a week yeah. we viewpointed for an hour and a half insane like yes. what is why oh, every <laughs> once in a while I'll use some ridiculous thing from college so I can't say no and I can't say yes. this is a very long-winded answer to like a sort of basic question sorry no I don't think so I think uh there's a lot of actors who are in university programs and they're not really sure where to go and I came from one that was a little detached from LA like I moved I went from Missouri State to Los mm -hmm. Angeles and I'd like mm -hmm. I'd never paid for parking before and so to have that big of a jump of like city to, yeah. you know, small town theater was very jarring. So I think it's interesting what people get from their early education. So when you yeah. did transition to film and television, uh, was that, did you start taking classes in that? Like, how did you yes. further your education? Um, so when I came to LA, I bounced around for a second and I landed with Alan Barton at the Beverly Hills Playhouse. Mm -hmm. And um, he really kind of helped me figure out how to undo so much of what was done in my BFA. And then between that and an audition class that I took at the BGB studios, Risa, Risa Brahman Garcia's studios. Uh -huh. I'm familiar did, with I didn't, yeah, an um, on-camera audition class with Jamie and that helped me a lot too. But honestly, the only thing that really made my work grow was being on set actual sets, actual auditions, actual um, career experience is the thing that, you know, creates more experience. It makes you less green. Yeah. Well, and it feels like a catch 22, right? When you are trying to get more experience, mm -hmm. but you need experience to get experience. So what was your process of getting onto sets a little more green? Oh, I made my own stuff. Great. I never, like I never booked auditions. I was a terrible, still am a terrible auditioner. <laughs> have never booked anything off a of self-tape. What? Um, I, no, that's, never, that's shocking. My booking rate is abysmal. <laughs> it is embarrassing to everyone involved, you know, because I, I could love to navel gaze. 
I think that it all goes back to Syracuse, that terror of being cut from my program. Every time I walk into an audition room, I just clam up, make very safe choices and I'm nervous. So if that's not the character, if the character isn't like white faced panicked that she's gonna get murdered, <laughs> Maybe that's how I book all the hard stuff. It's all making so sense. terrifying. <laughs> but yeah, I couldn't book. I I remember I I recently left my commercial representation because I hated commercial auditions so much. But there was a time in my life where I was commercial auditioning four or five times a week for almost a year, and I never booked anything. Wow, <laughs> that's so crazy yeah. to me. Why so, did I keep going? I must be psychotic. I mean, I think a little, all of, of all of us are like a, a some percentage of delusional mm-hmm. to keep up what we do. How did you motivate yourself to keep working on your own stuff if you felt like you weren't necessarily getting anywhere? Do you feel like you got traction from the work you were doing in your own projects? Was it short films? Like what kind of, what yes. kind of stuff was it? Okay. So I did, um, through the acting school I was in, I did theater with them. I did a production of the Heidi Chronicles. Mm-hmm. and I invited a bunch of casting directors to that because I knew I was going to be good in that, even though I was going to like the next week shit the bed in their <laughs> casting session. At least they could see that I could do acting. Um, I did a lot of that. I worked on my friends' projects. So anytime anybody would tell me that they were shooting a short film or that they were shooting an indie film, I'd be like, hey, can I be in your movie? <laughs> and, you know, like most people would be like, no, and it's rude of you to ask. And one person would say yes. And then I would do whatever weird thing they needed me to do for the a, the longest time. It was me in a bikini or me like barking at people. It was just some weird ass shit. But I got some tape together and then I got an agent. And then my agent could say, she's not great in the room, but like take this meeting and she will be great um, on the day. And I still wasn't booking anything. And my agent then said to me, like, you need to write a movie. You're, that's the way this is going to work for you. You need to write something and get it going. And that's kind of what happened with Hush. And so mm-hmm. I wrote it with my now husband. And then we used both of our previous relationships with Blumhouse and um, Intrepid. And they threw us less than a million dollars. And we made Hush. And that's when my career started. It was never the audition to call back to producers, to job from co-star to guest star to series regular. It was never going to be that way for me. Wow. It's really cool that that was your, that was the first. So did you do, you did shorts before that? And then, and then Hush was the first full feature you did? I had done um, supporting roles in a couple movies and indies. I had Mm -hmm. never done a lead. I had lucked into a couple co-stars on like Numbers and Castle and like things like that, but nothing of any significance really. Now, all the co-stars feel like it's just, oh, they wanted this number four actor today. Like just feels yeah, like it complete. just, yeah. That's why I could book them because they were like, oh no, she has the brown hair and I like that she's five, eight, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Solid, solid. So when you, yeah. at the time you guys uh, started working on Hush, were you and your husband married? No, okay. we were dating. Okay. So you decided mm-hmm. to really throw all your chips on the table and make a movie. Well, at that point, like we really liked each other. (laughs) Good. (laughs) I mean, we still do, but like we really liked spending time with each other and creating with each other. We really respected each other's talents. And there was that kind of question on the table, like, is this relationship going anywhere? And so the idea was, well, if we can survive 18 days of night shoots on an ultra low budget, 
then we'll probably get married. And then we did. <laughs> and then we had kids. And even like the worst time with an infant in the middle of the night screaming and puking on us was not as bad as 18 days of night shoots on an ultra low budget indie. That gives me some hope for my relationship. Thank you very much. Um, yeah. <laughs> when you guys started that process, what was the groundwork of laying it out? Was it, I want this because I want this footage for myself. It's a character I want to play. Mm-hmm. Like, especially because it was all, that's all you. But also I think it's interesting right. that you chose not to really talk during it. Well, it's um, funny because if you knew me back then, I was, and still am, like, I just, I love a good bitch session where I'm going <laughs> to complain about shit and then you're going to complain about shit and then we're going to try to solve it, but we won't really solve it. We just need to vent. Like, I love therapy. I like, <laughs> love hanging out with my girlfriends. And so what was happening was my husband and I were in the middle of one of our, like, epic bitch sessions over dinner about me complaining that I couldn't get work and I I think I had just lost another part and I was like, this just sucks. It just sucks and it hurts and it feels like it's never working. And like, I hate the way that I look when I talk and I hate the sound of my voice. Like I just hate everything I want just to, I think I do a really good job when I like look around. I think I express things with my face well and I should have been in silent movies. And um, <laughs> what ended up happening is that was the beginning of a conversation that ended with the outline of Hush. Because I, oh, I had seen Wait Until Dark at the Geffen. And I was like, oh, it's so good. And I want to do acting like that. And I hate my face when it moves and talks. (laughs) And then we started pitching it out that like, well, what if there was a sort of horror movie like that? And could we write it? And I mean, I could definitely play that because I know I can look around and be scared. Because I'll be on a set and be terrified. So I'm going to look around and be scared. And then we would, so by the end of dinner, we had the outline of the story, which is a pretty basic home invasion story, right? Mm -hmm. Like it has a little twist here and there. And then we went home. um, And then over the next week, we'd sketched out the 10 pager of like, you know, the full outline. And then we'd go beat by beat and Mike would go outside and I would stay in the house and he would try to break in and we would see what I would actually do. And then once we found a good, like story point, we'd run inside and write it really quickly. And so the script of Hush, because we knew from the very beginning he was gonna direct and I was gonna star, that it doesn't read like your regular screenplay. Mm -hmm. It reads more like a novella because there isn't a lot of dialogue. And so you generally think a page of script is a minute of movie making. With Hush, a page of script is about five minutes of movie making because it's action piece, action piece, action piece. How long was the script that you ended up shooting? Uh, like maybe 60 pages. Wow. Mm-hmm. Cool. So it was like this weird script that I love now to look back on because it doesn't look anything else like the rest of my writing because it's just this kind of outline for me and Mike to go make this movie. I also love that that was your date nights. Like I'm going to break in and then we're going to write it down. <laughs> I feel like, I felt like most actors are like, yes, I want to do that. <laughs> do really a movie play. Yeah. It's really fun. You just got to find the right weirdos to partner up with. A hundred percent. At the time, were you working like side jobs? How were you getting by in like day-to-day oh, life So stuff? many side jobs. My God, all yes. the hustling gig this economy is, side jobs. Actors yeah. forget that when they see, you know, you on their TVs all the time, they yeah. forget that you know, you put in, you put in the time. 10 years of desperation, (laughs) 10 years of, I had a play reading class and I couldn't afford a $7 copy of a play at the bookstore, like 10 years of it. 
And that's not everyone's story, but it's mine for sure. I waited tables at a variety of different places. I bartended. I did those weird promo girl things where you hand out like samples of energy drinks. Yes, yes, I was like a dealer doll. Anything that you could find on Craigslist under gigs, like tent, you know what I'm talking about? Like that section. And I was like, cool, I'll do it. Yeah. And I, cause I was like, I'm God damn it. I need to make rent. And so hustle, 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 beg my parents for an extra hundred bucks for my cell phone bill. Yeah. Like sell my clothes when I needed to like get new clothes, you know, go to crossroads and sell my shit. And they'd give me like $3. Oh my God. You bring in five bags. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Fuck you guys. They're the worst. It's like not even worth finding parking around there. No. Yes. <laughs> All right. And then you park and then you get a parking ticket because it's impossible to read the signs. And then every time yeah, the sobbing of park. I remember that, like getting a parking ticket and sobbing because I was like, I will not pay this. I don't have the money. And then it's going to become $160 and then they're going to boot my car. But I always thought that um, I wanted to take a parking ticket all the way to the Supreme Court because I think it's cruel and unusual punishment. Because for rich people, it's not the same punishment as it is for for poor people. God, that's accurate. <sighs> and so it should be a sliding scale because if like a rich person can just get a parking ticket and not think about it and pay it. But a poor person, like I was just broke and so miserable. And I was like, this isn't fair and it should be reexamined. Anyway. No, I love that. I got a parking ticket in my first uh, job interview in LA and I came out to my car and Ugh. I just cried. Once again, hadn't paid for yeah. parking, didn't know the rules. Didn't I know. had no idea. No. no, I was so, I was so shiny and new. Uh, how, how did you keep going in the work if you were st- struggling with auditions, if the hustle was ongoing, 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 if, you know, obviously I feel like we have similar things like uh, you struggle with what you looked like on camera, things like that. Yeah. What, why did you continue? Um, God, that's a great question that my mom asked me a lot. <laughs> why, <laughs> why are you still doing this? Um, I think, you know, I think in LA, what I would say to people is that if you just stick around long enough, it will start working out. And for some people that happens real quick, like three weeks. And for some people like me, it took a decade, Mm -hmm. but there are things that make it easier to stay and things that make it harder. So, right. So like things that make it harder are, would be having shitty friends who don't want anything with their lives. Like things that make it harder is staying out all night, drinking and doing drugs. Things that make it harder is, you know, dating a shithead things that make for me things that made it easier was my acting class I felt like I was still doing work there and it had I know the BHP has gone through some tough stuff over the past year and some complaints and things like that and I understand that Um, but at the time when I was there the community I had and again I'm a white woman at the BHP like I understand there were people whose experiences were different and I validate those experiences but it was a huge community for me. And I felt like I was doing work that was good. And I felt like I was getting satisfied artistically. And I felt like that really helped me from quitting. And I still count some of those friends as among my best friends. And they're the people that I ask myself, like, how can I get them jobs? Because we really were there in the trenches together. And Every time I have an opportunity to throw an audition at someone, those are the first people I try to 
try to lift up. Yeah. And so that makes it easier. Um, I think people who make you laugh made it easier for me. Therapy made it easier for me. Um, you know, a, a true belief in magic made it easier for me. For some people that's a higher power or like God or faith. But for me, it was just like, I believe the world to be a magical place where something wonderful could happen today. And that's sort of just who I am. That's a pretty root um, belief of mine. And that helped a lot because mm. I did, I did believe even when it had been hundreds of auditions without a booking and like good auditions that I thought I did okay in and just getting the feedback, like she's not very good at acting. And I'd be like, okay. And they're like, she's pretty though but she's not very good. And those moments, I was like, no, I think you're wrong. And you know what else? I'm watching TV and I don't think you have to be that good to be on TV. That's so true. Right? Yes. <laughs> so even if they're right, even if this casting director told me I was not a great actress, who wasn't saying that I was terrible, who was saying that I was fine, is correct. Let's assume the worst and that casting director is correct. I could still be on TV. Lots of people on TV are just fine. And so why not keep going? That's a really great outlook. I think it's, <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. It's so helpful because it's very hard to get downtrodden very easily. And especially this past year, you know, a lot of actors are having to make some really hard choices about where they're going and what they're doing and where they're putting their time and money and energy. And yeah. so to hear that kind of uh, good spirited on it is, is really nice. It's um, easy to be good spirited when you're on a hit TV show. It's really, yeah. really easy. This would have been a very different interview three years ago. Yeah. 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 What would you have said differently, do you think? I think it would have been more pessimistic. I think yeah. if you asked my friends at the time, I was saying things like, well, I guess it's not going to happen to me. I better try writing. Or it's probably not going to happen. So maybe I'll go back to school and get my social work degree. Like, you know, those, mm -hmm. the same things, all the same conversations, all of us have just that feeling of it's not going to happen for me. And so it's, I try not to forget that because it did happen for me, that doesn't mean that that other Kate wasn't also valuable and real. The Kate who thought it wasn't going to happen. That's okay too. Like both of those things were possibilities in my life. Like I'm not in some way different or special than, than anybody, than her, than the Kate who it isn't coming out for. Was there a moment or a certain booking or a certain show, obviously the shows that you felt like, oh, now it's happening, like capital IT, like this is the change? When I was able to leave my commercial agent, that was when I felt like, okay, whew, I don't have to do that particularly soul draining thing anymore. But I always, I even now, Sometimes I think, well, if I have to go back to waiting tables, that'll fucking suck, but it might happen. It happens all the time. People wait tables, they go back to it. So, but I don't think I'll ever go back to commercial auditioning. <laughs> you know what? Tomato, tomato. <laughs> exactly. Some people can't imagine going back to waiting tables. I can't imagine going back to commercials. And I love people who can do it. Shout it's out Audrey Scores More, who can book oh, every yeah. single commercial. Yeah, she's amazing at that. I, uh, Mm, this might mm, come off a little odd to some audience members, but I also think there's something harder about being an attractive woman in auditions for commercials that mm. uh, 
I don't know if you've experienced this, but I feel like you either play like, like you said, like hot girl in a bikini type of thing, Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. you have to wait a few years until you're like attractive mom. Like I, I, I kind of stopped booking commercials a couple of years ago and I can't, since I got out of the college age range and I, I just think it's really, it's a weird little middle ground. I agree with that. I agree with that. I always thought I wasn't hot enough to be the model. So like I'm not booking skincare commercials or like tampon commercials, <laughs> but I was too hot to be quirky girl. Yes. And so, yeah, like you said, there was this weird middle ground where I just didn't fit in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You said in an interview I heard where you talked about uh, giving up the ingenue dream and mm-hmm. I think that's really interesting. And I know a lot of actors, like I myself, I've been in LA almost 10 years now and it's, I had a picture of what this was going to look like and I thought it would happen Mm -hmm. in my 20s. Um, I'm far out of those by now, (laughs) but uh, Mm -hmm. it's it's hard to adjust uh, what you thought it was going to look like. And I think Hollywood sells us this idea of success at a younger age is how it happens. What was Mm -hmm. that process like of you getting over the idea of what you thought it was going to be? Oh, that was sort of a sink or swim situation, right? Because like you, I'm way past my 20s. I got my first series regular at 36. So um, I'm a late bloomer. Mm-hmm. And it just, I just watched the window close. I was like, oh, this is me being the new girl. Like, I mean, the show, not the type of person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> me being Jess on, that's going away. That's happening. And and I would cry and rage against the dying of the light and be like, that's not fair. And I'm so mad about it. And I didn't handle it with a particular amount of grace. It just happens. Mm-hmm. And then what also happens is you realize that those are the worst parts. Those actually are the worst. On any show I've ever been on, the ingenue stands there and everybody else does acting around her. And maybe she gets to cry. Like if that's the choice. <laughs> But she certainly doesn't get to get messy. She never gets to make huge, embarrassing mistakes. She never gets to like get furious. She never gets gross. You never get to make any fun choices as the ingenue. And it's it's a thing that you want from the outside because you do get to be on the poster and you do get the pretty dresses and you do get all the free shit on Instagram <laughs> and people are jealous of you and you get to kiss the hot actors, right? Those are things that are true. But that's all stuff you want from the outside because on the inside, the stuff they send you for free on Instagram is trash. It's just garbage. It sits in your house. Um, The dresses aren't yours. You have to return them and none of them fit because P.S. everyone's too fat, (laughs) you know, like that. Um, The the cute actors you're kissing are gross Um, and like they don't want to be there either. And kissing someone on set isn't any fun. Mm -mm. And being on the poster, it doesn't even look like you because they Photoshop you within an inch of your life. And then all of a sudden you're like, what's wrong with my face that they had to change my face. And so all of those things on the inside aren't fun. And then you realize the stuff you get to play on the other side is the best stuff. Was there something that helped you come to terms with there's like a battle, right? Between being okay with where you're at and waiting for time to pass to where you get where you're going to go, like being patient Mm -hmm. with your timing. Uh, But also it sounds like you had a similar thing where the the hustler mentality, where like, I got to be working, I got to be improving. Balancing out those two things is really hard, no? Yes, it is. It is. And like the only thing I have for that, and I see it, like I see 
it in your face. Like I'm on Zoom with you right now and I can see it in you. The question of like, why not? What do I have to do? It's a certain <laughs> amount of rage that's starting to come out. What I would say, the only thing I would give as a piece of advice to myself when I was in your place and to you right now is you're doing great, sweetie. You're doing great. Just stop doing shit. You're doing great. <laughs> right? Like what you've got right now is you're riding your bike in a certain gear and it's a little bit too low. And so you're pedaling so much to make small amounts of moves and you need to, in your brain, switch up your gear. So you're making less moves, but you're going to move like, like it's harder to pedal, but you're going to move quicker. Mm-hmm. My metaphor got a little garbled there at the end, but I yeah, think it's okay. you understand. What I got I'm a saying. Peloton. I'm on board. Don't worry. There you go. <laughs> oh, Pelotons. God, we all have to be so skinny. Oh my gosh. Hold on. So, so yes, well, that's what I would say is we, everyone needs to just stop. And I, I love Audrey helps actors. I listen to her religiously. I've listened to a ton of your podcasts. I love oh, podcasts. Thank, yeah. It's just great to have that feeling of people understanding, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the stuff of like the nitty gritty of doing this. But what I want to say to everyone is just like, Hey guys, calm down. Everyone stop. It'll, it'll happen with or without the branding and the postcards and the Instagram followers and this and all of these things that are not the job that you are just doing to force yourself to pretend that you are doing something. Sit in the fact that you are uncomfortable and unhappy with where you are. That's okay. It will change. That's the only given. Time and change is the only given. So like, what does it mean if you just sit there for an entire day, do nothing, get in bed with a bottle of gin and be like, this fucking sucks. I don't want to be struggling. I don't want to be worried about bills. I don't want COVID. Like give yourself, throw yourself a pity party. Everyone's working too hard. Sorry, Mm -hmm. I'm a bit of like militant on that. That like, we all need to be much nicer to ourselves. Ah, I think that's a breath of fresh air for a lot of people who often, a lot of the actors also who listen to a lot of podcasts are actors who are very A-type, right? We're always looking yes. for how, how we can improve, what we can do next, so what we're missing. Everyone just wants to be validated. So to hear someone who is working and working really hard say something like, it's okay to stop. It's okay to feel bad for yourself. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's okay. Like, I think we all need that. Yeah. Yeah. And especially your listeners and people who love these podcasts, you are not at risk of being lazy. You are not the ones where the message is like, you need to work harder. There are people who do need to work harder. If you are listening to this podcast in your spare time, you are not that person. (laughs) This message is for you to calm down. Uh, that's the pull. That's the pull from us. You mentioned a little bit about like body stuff and I have had Mm -hmm. a lot of struggles of that on my own. And I think a lot of actresses, especially, and I know actors too, I don't want to like ungroup them from the category, but how have you dealt with body image in the industry? And especially after having kids, I'm sure that's a whole nother Mm -hmm. gambit. Um, or maybe you just appreciate your body more. I don't know. I'm going to take a second and think about this because I want to answer this honestly. Mm-hmm. There is a lot there is a lot tied up in this. Okay, so after I had kids, I liked my body more. But two other things happened. One was that I was older and no longer had the requirements of an ingenue to have a skinny white body which I think is changing in general, that they're, they are cha- moving away from everyone, even 
people of color needed to present like a skinny white body. I mean that in the general as opposed yeah. to the specifics. Um, and I don't encounter that as much in scripts. And the second thing was I started thinking my daughter will watch this someday. And I, although never, never really took it to the edge. I struggled with eating. I had disordered thinking. I've had some real judgments on my body. I've dieted. I've, I've done keto. I've overexercised to squeeze myself into the presentation of skinny white body. And mostly because I did it to myself. Very rarely has anybody ever said to me, your body isn't right for this project or we want you to lose weight. I internalized the shows I watched and the magazines I read as a kid and I equated a certain body with success, but the reality of my situation, nobody else wanted my body to look like that. They hired me the exact way I looked and they were okay with it. And so when I had my daughter, I thought, I want to put real bodies on camera. And so I want her to see real bodies. I don't want her to see her mother starving to create an image in her head of successful actress. I want her to see her mother eating chicken nuggets with her and like having a tea party and eating ice cream and doing these things. And then also being allowed to be a working actress mm-hmm. that the two things, and, and there are certain roles that have specific body needs. Like if you're playing a superhero, you need to be able to run a certain amount of time. Right. And if you, if you are playing somebody who is a bikini model, you should probably look like a bikini model, but playing Theo Crane, I was just a child psychologist. Like that's, it could be anything. And so I tried to be as forgiving to myself as possible. I have about a 30% success rate of that right now. <laughs> and hopefully in the future, I will move that into more than 50%. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is it harder to have that negotiation with yourself while you're filming? Because you said you're filming right now. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. It is. One of the things I like is that um, when you're filming a show like this, you do all of your fittings early. And so I actually can't change my body now because all of my outfits have been planned out and tailored. And if I gain or lose weight, that is a problem for wardrobe. So that's nice. But it is, it's always a negotiation with the worst parts of me, with the petty, envious, jealous parts of me, where I just have to be like forgiving and invite them to the table and be like, yeah, you guys want me to look like Kate Moss in the 90s because I grew up in the fucking 90s. Like I want to be, I want to be a bobblehead that because I just digested too much of that imagery when I was forming my self worth. And so it's not those demons that tell me I'm fat when I'm not are just, just a part of me that I can accept is I guess the way to do it. I don't know. Like I said, 30% success rate, 30% of the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's a constant struggle. It feels like sometimes we signed up to make this almost our job to make ourselves okay with ourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It feels like a to be honest, just relentlessly honest and authentic. Hmm. Well, whatever it is that you are doing seems to be working really well. Um, <laughs> you've, uh, I mentioned this in our email, but I really feel like you've elevated a lot of 
work in the horror thriller genre. And a lot of actors starting out, a lot of low budget indie films end up being horror movies because they usually can take on a smaller budget in a lot of ways or cast actors who might not be well known yet. Um, Mm -hmm. However, and this is, I'll just speak for myself, very rarely are they good. (laughs) Mm. Um, So what would be your advice to elevating the work that we see in these movies and the scripts we audition for? Uh, relentless honesty and authenticity. Mm. I think you need to sit with yourself and ask yourself, what would I do in this circumstance? More than anything else, um, horror films and TV are an imagination exercise because you're reacting to inactable things, right? right? We have no idea what would actually happen if a zombie came at you. You just don't know that you could do literally anything. Think about all the ways you react when you see a spider. Like the shock, the jumping, the twitching, the screaming, any of that, laughter, crazy laughter, like disbelief, fainting in like a, on a fainting couch. I don't know. Like you could do anything. So give yourself that kind of fun. Like if you like a glass of wine or if you like a little weed, get a little out there and just start playing make-believe with yourself. And then you're going to find the choices that make it authentic. And then, you know, then you're off to the races. Yeah, that makes it sound more fun too, which it should be. It should oh, be it's the fun. most fun. Yeah. I'll ask one or two last questions here. For a lot of the work you've done, you have gotten to work with your husband, with mm-hmm. uh, Mike Flanagan. And what has that process been like of learning since obviously you were just dating when you started working together? Um, mm-hmm. What has the process been like of figuring out how you guys work together on a set? Um, We tend to leave our marriage at the stage door. And so we treat each other professionally. And I think we hold very strong boundaries with um, our lives and sets. So, because we're, we're, you're in the mix of it. Like you're there all day and everything like that. And so I don't, I don't really discuss my marriage a lot. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't really discuss his marriage a lot. It's just not the thing we're big fans of each other like we've always been fans of each other's work but otherwise um I think boundaries and and boundaries and actually being friends those two things are what make it successful for us and have you found that it's you've been able to give each other your own spotlights in each way especially Mm -hmm. when you've done the same projects together yeah I think we're You know, it it comes back to the same thing. Like, I think we're really proud of each other. Mm -hmm. And so it's easy for me to be excited to watch him give interviews in GQ and like be his own star. And I think he's proud of me. And so it's exciting for him to watch me do that. There's not a lot. And because it's not two actors, yeah, you know, (laughs) it's, it's a creative Cause I don't know if I would be able to do that with another actor. <laughs> yeah. My, my fiance is a writer and I always say, I like having someone who understands my problems, but doesn't have the same set of problems as I do. Exactly. That's perfect. <sighs> it's so much better that way. Um, it is. If, it really uh, is. Uh, so right now you are filming, you're working, mm-hmm. is it, are you working on midnight mass? Is that what you're working on? That's right. That's yeah. great. Is that the name of the book that was written in hush? Yes, it is. Oh, 
really proud of remembering that. Um, I'm proud of you too. <laughs> I love details. Uh, how are you dealing with that in COVID? We'll kind of wrap up with like what it's like to be filming mm-hmm. right now um, at the end of the year. Okay. So right, we started, we were Netflix's first show to go into production. Oh, and wow. so far, knock on wood, we've had no shutdowns and no positive cases on set. And the way it looks like is this. I drive up to set. I park. I, we self-drive. There's no more like pickup, which is something they used to do in Vancouver. Um, I drive myself to set. I park in my parking space. Or if you follow me on Twitter, I park in someone else's parking space. <laughs> I park where I want because um, I think it's so funny. And <laughs> I'm not sure that anyone else thinks it's as funny as I think it is, but I sure do. Anyway, I wait in my car and a nurse, a COVID specialist, comes with a little cart. They are wearing a surgical gown, a KN95 mask, and a face shield. They take my temperature. I sanitize my hands in front of them. I sanitize my phone in front of them. They uh, then give me a fresh KN95 mask and a face shield. I put on that PPE and I walk to my trailer. When I get in my trailer, I'm allowed to take it off. My trailer is sanitized every 30 minutes. They wow. wipe the outside of it, not the inside, like the doors and the stairs and the handles. So um, when I'm in my trailer, I can take my PPE off. Then um, the AD will come knock on the door. They all day, everybody who's not an actor is wearing the KN95 mask all day. If you are near an actor, you're in the red zone. And when you're in the red zone, you have to wear your face shield. So the, ta- the ADs are face shielded in COVID and I t- they take me to hair. I put on my face shield and my mask and I go to the hair and makeup trailer. Once I'm in the hair and makeup trailer, the vanities, the hair and makeup people, are wearing full surgical gowns, KN95 masks, and face shields. I can then remove my shield. And and so it goes on like this, on and on and on and on and on and on. Um, Everywhere you go, you have total coverage. So the thing about this was, as we started working, it kind of trickled down through the cast. Like, hey guys, when you get to set the very first day, give yourself three hours to have a panic attack. Because you're going to say, I can't work like this. Everything I liked about work, I can't do. I can't hang out with people between setups. I can't talk to people. I can't watch playback. I can't go talk to my husband. I can't hug people. I can't joke around. I can't do any of these things. And you're like, how am I supposed to connect with somebody when I have to sit there in a face shield and a mask until we are like basically rolling? Mm -hmm. How do you do this? And so you, I, you freak out, you give yourself three hours to panic and then humans are resilient and eventually you get used to it. And so now it just feels like going to work and even describing it to you. I was like, wow, that's crazy, but it feels so normal now. Really? It feels super. I've been doing it for over 45 days of shooting. Wow. And you're able to kind of when you get on to set, when it's time to actually shoot, mm-hmm. you feel like you can find your human connection pretty quickly once they pull away. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think what happens is you are, we are also desperate for connection. Mm-hmm. It's actually much easier to focus on talking and listening because I'm so thirsty for it. And so my brain just like clicks right in because I just want to be there communicating with somebody as opposed to sometimes on other sets, your mind would wander because like you've been talking to humans all day. You've been staring at faces all day. And this is my only time to look at and touch and talk to people who aren't in my family. 
That's nice. Oh, it's so nice you get to work. That's so great. I'm so, so grateful. So fucking grateful. It sounds like they're doing it right too. It sounds like they're going about it in all the right ways. Twice a week, COVID tests. We're doing some stuff next week where um, actors have to uh, have their mouths on each other. Mm -hmm. And we're doing the rapid tests every day for that. Like that's crazy. And then they give you a hydrogen peroxide mouthwash. I have seen this. Uh, I've seen this online. That's very interesting. That's crazy. (laughs) Honestly, you should have to use mouthwash before you use your mouth in a scene. Anyway, that should be well, yes, those are standard. We set up. (laughs) You should have good manners, people. Yes. Onset etiquette is just uh, smell. Not bad. This is lovely. You're lovely. Is there anything else you want to leave uh, the actors with who are listening? Obviously, you kind of know they're all mm-hmm. a little type A, a little excited. Everyone's just anxious to get back on a set right now. Yeah. You are my favorite type of people. I love you and I believe in you. And don't forget that Felicity Huffman stood up there holding her Oscar and said, the second time I didn't work for five years, I gave up on dreams like this something that got me through some dark nights i will be listening to this clip over and over again when i need to (laughs) don't give up that's the only thing that's really it that's all you have to do is don't give up all right well then i'm gonna go have a beer that sounds like the perfect end to this (laughs) that's right go have a beer and forgive yourself for whatever happens the rest of the day (laughs) thank you so so much my pleasure And that brings us to the end of today's episode. Kate, thank you so much for your time, your honesty, your candidness in this podcast. It is so touching and I really think it's exactly what a lot of us need right now. Speaking for myself specifically, I will listen to this podcast probably more than once. Next week, I'm going to be joined by Atlanta actor Kurt Yu, who is not only extremely, extremely successful in his acting career, he also runs the YouTube channel Acting Career Center. So make sure you are subscribed because he is going to bring you a lot of online knowledge. Also, if you haven't yet, please rate and review this podcast, guys. Sincerely, I know podcast people ask for this all the time. It makes a huge difference, especially on Apple Podcasts really sincerely makes the hugest difference and makes me want to work even harder for you guys. Also, please follow me on Instagram at OneBrokeActress and shoot me any questions you have about today's sponsor, Ashley Pollard Square One Accelerator. I'm not kidding you guys. It's really changed how I look at One Broke Actress as a business and I feel a lot calmer in my day to day. Thank you as always to Maggie Zabo for your beautiful theme song and thank you to Helena Santos for all your production help. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and I will talk to you next week. Next week.